Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1 today is our message. We're going to be looking at five questions. Five questions. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit... Are you now made perfect by the flesh? We've learned the questions well these days. Do you have a cough, shortness of breath, loss of taste or smell, or other symptoms associated with COVID-19? Have you had a fever greater than 100.4? Do you have known exposure with someone with COVID in the last 14 days? Uh, we get asked them a lot, and they're going to be around apparently for a long, long time yet. But you know, they're asked to determine our physical health. Uh, maybe like me, you always uh, kind of question the validity of those doctoral uh, 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 forms that we have to fill out when we go to the doctor's office, all that long questionnaire that we have to get. If I was in charge of the world, there'd be a big box at the top that said, no change, no change. Because, of course, I know that won't work. They need to know if anything has changed about your health uh, in the last year or so. And so uh, that's why that that is all in there. I understand that. Uh, every time I fill one of those out, I chuckle at the big box that says, what are your symptoms today and I always think about an old veterinarian that we had in Hazen many years ago who was fond of saying uh, uh, that veterinary medicine is far far greater than other forms because as he said my patients can't tell me what's wrong with them and I, I laugh every time I read that thinking about uh, uh, what old Dr. Gillette used to say at Hazen um, today we're looking at these questions that Paul asks as he begins what's known as the doctrinal section of the book of Galatians and he's asking these questions for the same reason that we have to fill out that questionnaire and for the same reason that uh, the doctors or the uh, other people will always ask us these questions relating to COVID they're trying to diagnose what our situation is and in the same way Paul was trying to diagnose their situation for them and help them to understand what was happening as he was beginning to develop this doctrinal argument and uh, don't get uh, all concerned just because I've got five questions to my message doesn't mean that we're going to have five hours worth of preaching although I could I could uh, these actually roll themselves into really three big issues and uh, surprisingly amazingly to me this week as I looked at it I uh, began to think about how that all three of them work and develop themselves around the work of the Trinity God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit he brings these up then in consideration of their work and asking then the question do these things uh, support the argument of the legalist to the things that God has done the things that Jesus has done the things that the Holy Spirit has done is your experience in these level do they support the argument of the legalists or not. Paul, you see, was fighting for the very survival of Christianity in a way. Because if the legalists had their way back in those days, then Christianity would have been nothing more than just another sect of Judaism. Just another division. Because they would have added Christianity to Christianity, uh, the responsibility of keeping the law. And that makes Christianity just a branch of Judaism had it been successful. 
We would rejoice today had Paul been completely successful in arguing against that. But unfortunately, multitudes of different religious groups today still have combined these two things so that they have Christians trying to keep the law of Moses or follow the Old Testament rules and rituals. I have good friends, people I love and taught and pastored, who have left the Christian faith to go under Messianic Judaism. I've seen it. And there are multitudes of these groups. I'm not going to name them. I'm just going to tell you they still exist today. So the problem of Galatia is not something that we can just compartmentalize and put off as some problem that happened in the past because it is still going on in our world today. But even more prevalent is the effort to try to combine somehow the grace and faith in Jesus Christ with human works and performance of some kind. Uh, The things that we do or even more likely the things that we don't do and somehow adding our works to the concept of faith. So as Paul begins this, he, he poses these five questions to help him then in his task of championing the goal that justification our right standing with God justification is by faith we are accepted in the beloved we are not left to earn God's favor by the things we do or the things we avoid And if we have accepted that, that our ultimate standing with God is based on our faith in Jesus Christ and that we are accepted in the beloved, then that's a great thing. But it doesn't mean that we can't somehow continue to add in our works to this whole equation. It might be within the idea of what it means to be a a good Christian or a committed Christian or a faithful Christian or a dedicated Christian, or even a good church member. I say, well, you know, good Christians do this. Faithful Christians don't do this. As if somehow then that makes us superior, somehow more acceptable. That though we are accepted in the love, I'm more accepted because I do the right things and don't do the wrong things. It's still there. That's still a threat. In a practical way, this is the difference between self-righteousness and the true righteousness, which is by faith. Those two things could not possibly be any further apart. Self-righteousness is abominable to God. The true righteousness, the righteousness which is by faith, is acceptable to God. That's about as extreme as it gets. Jesus summed it all up for us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20 when he said, Accept your righteousness, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, the scribes and Pharisees had a works-based righteousness. It was all about their self-righteousness. They put on a good show. They had a great religious uh, look about them. They did religious things. They were very faithful in seeing that those religious requirements were all met down to crossing the last religious T and dotting the last religious I. They had it all down. They were impressive when it came in the religious department. But you know, Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers that's a whitewashed tomb inside he said they were full of death and corruption they looked good on the outside but inside they were rotten to the core that's what Jesus said of them 
We need a different kind of righteousness then than the righteousness that the Pharisees had. That was self-righteousness. That was a works-based, religious-based righteousness. But really in Galatia, Paul was more concerned about the other side of things, not just that whole works-based righteousness, the idea that we could somehow be right with God uh, by our own works, but with a combination of the two. Look at it in verse 3. He said, Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You see, it's far more likely that people would create a blending, a, a combination of these two things. There's not many people, although there are some, who really teach a works-based righteousness. They may knock on your door. They've got tracts to give you, books that they'll offer you to read. If you take their books and tracts, they'll come back and they will bring more people with them. Uh, don't be confused. They have a complete works-based system of being right with God. They only believe a certain number of hard-working believers are going to make their way to heaven and all the rest of them just go to the grave and, and that's it forever. Uh, that's a works-based system of righteousness. But it's far more likely to just create a blend. Yes, you believe in Jesus Christ. This is what was happening in Galatia. Yes, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, you have to trust in him. But then you have to somehow do this or don't do that. Without realizing that when we do that, we are taking our own works and adding them to the work of Jesus Christ. Paul has asked these questions this morning in order to call those issues in, into question. And the first thing then that he brings up is, is the issue of the work of God the Son, the work of the cross. Does the work of Jesus Christ support the cause of legalism? And he asks that in the first question, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? Now the word bewitched in this passage speaks of somebody who is under a spell. Under a spell. Even today we talk about a book that we're reading that's a very gripping book and we call it a, a real spell binder. You've heard that word? We'll talk about a television program. Man, I was just spellbound. Uh, a, a sporting event. I, I couldn't turn away from it. Uh, not even get up and get another cup of coffee. I mean, I was just locked in. It was a give and take. I couldn't. It's spellbinding. Spellbinding. Well, there's something about the message of, of the legalists that was spellbinding. But Paul did not ask them what had them under its spell, but who, who has bewitched you? Obviously, there was someone victimizing the Galatian churches who was very effective. They had the personality. They had the ability. They were very winning. They, they looked good. They, they sounded good. And they made this all sound very, very powerful. And they were under that spell. Listen, most false doctrine comes wrapped in human personality. Somebody has to be slick enough and strong enough and good enough to be able to turn you away from the truth and turn you into error. It's always been that way, and it's still that way today. False doctrine almost inevitably calls on you to embrace the personality, the person presenting it. 
By contrast, biblical ministry is centered on the cross of Jesus Christ. It always has been. One of my favorite Pauline statements was when he said, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. We do not preach ourselves. I will preach with all the power and all the ability that I have, but that is woefully insufficient. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and He works as Jesus Christ is exalted. As the cross then is preached, He takes that, and He uses it to accomplish great things. To put it in a simple way, folk, if you go out of here and all you have to say is what a great preacher that man was, I missed my point if you go out of here saying what a savior we have then I did my job the preaching of the cross is not about personality we don't need it we don't have to have it the Holy Spirit makes the preaching of the cross work all by itself Paul describes this as being evidently set forth. He uses the word from which our word placard is derived. It refers to something uh, that is written down, put up, and, and placed as a notice. In their time, mass communication was done that way. They put notices up everywhere. Uh, might sound a little fa uh, familiar. Uh, they'd pay somebody to carry a sign. Uh, does that sound familiar? Uh, listen, this is still effective for all of our high-tech world. Uh, that's why we have billboards up and down the highway, why people stand out in front of businesses with signs, and why you see the guy standing at the red light with signs. Why? Because it still works. What Paul is talking about is that Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth among you. That is, he didn't hide it. He put it out very, very plainly and very clearly. So much so that he went on to say he was crucified among you. Now, you and I know that Jesus Christ died on Golgotha. That's outside the ancient city of Jerusalem and a long, long way from Galatia. So how was Paul able to say that Jesus Christ was crucified among you some have suggested that Paul's preaching was so powerfully centered on the cross that it was as if uh, when they heard him preach they felt like they could see it happening before them and that could very well be true Abs uh, after all Paul told the church at Corinth I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified obviously the crucified Jesus Christ was a big part of Paul's ministry but I think there's more. You see, every time somebody is baptized and we put them down in the water and raise them back up, we are picturing our union with Christ, that when we were saved, we died to sin, we were buried with Christ, then his death becomes our death, his burial becomes our burial, his resurrection becomes our resurrection. Baptism does not cause that, but baptism does show that. Every time somebody is baptized, it shows the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even more, every time we take the Lord's Supper and every time the Galatian churches took the Lord's Supper when they took the bread and the wine it was a symbol of the crucified body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ it wasn't a picture of Moses holding the Ten Commandments the Lord's Supper doesn't picture that at all you understand Paul's argument it is the work of Jesus Christ then that we commemorate Every time we observe the Lord's Supper and every time that someone is baptized, trusting in the crucified, risen again, Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. 
He pointed out in verse 21 of the last chapter, if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Which means Jesus died for nothing. If righteousness could come by human works, then the death of Christ was unnecessary. But that's not what it is. Righteousness does not come by human works. Righteousness does not come to the law. And so Paul pointed them to the work of Christ and reminded them that the work of Jesus Christ, specifically the work of the cross, was destroying the argument of this persuasive man or woman who was teaching them and leading them away from the truth and into legalism. Secondly, he asked two questions that relate to the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? This issue brings us into the New Testament ministry and gift of the Holy Spirit. Is the work of the Spirit, all of His mighty works in us, produced by the law? Now, we can say this very plainly this morning. These people had been under the law, and the law of Moses had been around for centuries. And yet the law of Moses never ushered in the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. There was never a Pentecost under the Old Testament law. The work of the Holy Spirit did not come then. After all those centuries of obeying the law, didn't happen. It took the work of Jesus Christ, specifically his death, burial, and resurrection to fulfill all of those Old Testament promises and usher in the new covenant ministry of the Spirit. So when Paul appealed first and rightly so to the message of the cross, he was telling them that the message of the cross is, anti, is completely antithetical to the work of, of man. We can either accept that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and said, it is finished, that he meant what he said, or we must somehow go and try to nail our own works up there on the cross beside him, and many do. But now this ministry of the Spirit and their experience with them pointed them to how Christ was in them by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and they were in Christ. And though the mind is flooded with possible possibilities of scriptures I could cite to point this out to you this morning, I want us to look at just a couple. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom, that's Jesus, you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. After you believed. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says, You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Both of these passages emphasize the reality that when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. Paul said, After you believed, not after you believed and were baptized, not after you believed and spoke in tongues, not after you believed and prayed your way through, not after you believed and did all these other things, but just after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that is so powerfully true that he says, and in fact, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. It's just that simple. Paul didn't argue the point in this passage. He just simply tells them, they received the Spirit by the hearing of faith. That's in Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But then he asked him another question. Are you so foolish? 
Now, the Galatians weren't stupid, and he wasn't accusing them of that. They weren't ignorant. They were very well taught. Paul himself had taught them. They knew. The problem was not that they weren't capable of thinking, but that they weren't thinking. Now, we're familiar with that. Uh, just because we're able to think doesn't mean we do. <laughs> and these people were under the powerful influence of a person. And they were so powerfully being influenced by this persuasive false teacher that they were not thinking about what he was saying and what he was teaching. Listen, this problem didn't stop in Galatia. In fact, it is growing exponentially today in our world. Uh, I never went to the conferences, uh, but I, 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 I attended them virtually, some of them. I, I paid a fee, and you could listen to the conference speakers. They had conferences teaching you about how to be more effective in ministry in today's world and, and how, to, how to build churches and plant churches. I, I, I attended some of them virtually. I noticed a common thread that ran unto all of them, and they were all talking about how we needed to pick our, our target group, pick our crowd. And then there were certain things that we could do then in order to make ourselves more attractive and more effective. And it didn't matter what crowd that you listened to, they were all talking about how you needed to be a runner. And I, I decided even 10 years ago when I was listening to some of this stuff, you know, my running days were just about over. Uh, after I played basketball for, for nine years uh, growing up and, and had to run and run and run and run, I decided I'd never run again. And I've been pretty well true to that. You see me run and join me because <laughs> something bad is coming I'm, or I'm headed somewhere and I probably need some help. Uh, they, they were saying, y'all need to be a runner. And, and I, I understand the point. They wanted us all to be skinny. Listen, I've just kind of come to grips with the fact my skinny days are probably behind me. Uh, I understand. Uh, I should do better. I, I realize that. And I can do better for a while. I, I've, I, I can get skinnier for a while. But, you know, the other side always seems to win. I don't know. I, I'm, I admire you folks. Uh, uh, they, they talked about having your hair in a certain way even. I, I'm not making this up. They, they wanted you to dress in a certain way. And it wasn't just the pastor. It was his wife too. And all of it talking about how that if you want people to listen to you today, you have to present yourself in a certain way. And I'll tell you what, I don't follow none of the models because I wear a suit and one of these. Yeah, I'm one of those old fogey kind of guys. And, and I teach this stuff to young preachers today. and They don't listen, but uh, I, I tell them. My mama taught me, son, when you preach, look nice. And I don't want to get to heaven and, and have her have to take a switch to me. <laughs> so I've always tried to look nice. Uh, whatever. Uh, you see, they were all talking about then how you present yourself, your, your personality, how you look, how you want to yourself, and not just yourself, but also your wife. And, and poor old Paul, he, I don't know how he did. He didn't even have a wife to be a co-pastor. And that's another thing that they're making very popular these days. All of it about your presentation, your personality, your image. I wonder what kind of image Paul had after they beat him to death with rocks. Reckon they knocked some of his teeth out, broke his nose. Reckon his nose was crooked. Reckon he had scars all over his face and head. Yeah, I bet they did. That's why they said his bodily presence was contemptible. Contemptible. There's nothing about Paul that projected a good image after all he had gone through. 
and all the scars he had. But I'll tell you what he had. He had power with God. He had power with God because he preached the cross of Jesus Christ. And when he preached the cross of Jesus Christ, people were saved. Even today, folk, we have a lot of polished people that are all about their image and everything they do and everything they say is very carefully crafted. And people are listening. People are listening. But you don't improve the power of the Spirit of God by those things. You can't, no matter how much image that you have, no matter how many of those things you present, you, you, can't, you can't put the Holy Spirit of God behind all of that. It just doesn't fit. In fact, the more that we lean toward those kind of things, the less we lean toward relying on the mighty Spirit of God. I pray every Sunday... And usually several times on Sunday. God bless the preaching of your word. Because I know that unless the spirit moves. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. So he's brought up the work of Jesus on the cross. He brings up then the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and asks him are they so foolish are they, are they just not thinking? And they weren't thinking because they were so under the power of whoever these people were who were promoting and preaching legalism. The last issue then is, does the work of God the Father support the teachings of the legalists? Verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain? That's the fourth question. Uh, verse 5, then, he therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, doeth he yet by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. This calls our attention to the work of the Father. You see, the one who ministered the Spirit to them and works miracles among them is the Father himself. Jesus said it in John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Over and over again, Jesus said, The works that I do are not my works, they're the Father's work. The words that I speak to you are not my words, they're the Father's words. I must be about my Father's business. That was the mantra under which Jesus Christ lived his entire life. This is my Father's work. I'm here to do the work of the Father. So the one who ministers the Spirit to them and the one who ministers the Spirit to us is the Father himself. It's difficult for me to imagine any part of Paul's argument in Galatians 3 that needs to be preached any more than this part. I never cease to be amazed by the incredible numbers of people today uh, who are boldly preaching that you can get all the miracles if you want. If you just give a big enough offering, they call that a seed of faith to the right preacher. Are God's miracles really for sale? Has that ever worked for you? I, don't, I hope you never even tried it. Maybe you've tried another form of it where uh, we, we try to make a bargain. Now, God, if you'll do this for me, I promise I'll never miss another church service. Does that work? Why didn't it work? Number one, because God knows you don't mean it. <laughs> you will miss another church service. Number two, God don't bargain. God is not going to obligate himself, and he doesn't put himself in our debt. It doesn't work where we say, okay, I'm going to give this much or do this much, and then God says, well, if I do this and I give this and I go this, then I'll bless you. No, God doesn't work that way. 
fact is that God ministers the Spirit to everyone who believes. You can't work Him down more. You can't work down a miracle. They're not for sale. And neither is our whole concept of God's blessing and favor. And we hear a whole lot about that today. We need God's favor. I want you to know this morning you have God's favor because you are in Jesus Christ. How special are you? You're special because Jesus Christ died for you. <laughs> the royal blood of heaven runs through your veins. You are a child of heaven's king. You're accepted in the beloved. If we all get favor so that we're immune from suffering and we're immune from trouble and trial because we're in Christ or because we do the right things or because we support the right ministry or we don't do the right things. Does that make us somehow immune? Then if that was the case, then where did their suffering come from? Did you suffer in vain? That means did you suffer for nothing? Could you have just avoided that by keeping the law? Could you have avoided that by doing the right things? Could you have avoided all that suffering if you had just given a little bit more or done a little bit more? Did you suffer in vain? I've observed something in all my years of ministry. Faithful Christian people die. I've preached a lot of funerals, too many. Of good people who love God and served in their own life. But you know they die. Good godly people get sick and die. So do godless people. I've preached a lot of those funerals too. People that never darkened the door of a church, didn't believe in Jesus Christ, and why they even wanted a preacher to come preach their funeral. I've often wondered, but... It doesn't matter. I get the chance. You know what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to do. Because there will be people there who desperately need to hear it. Now, if Christian people die and non-Christian people die, and if Christian people get sick, and if non-Christian people get sick, and if, if, if you can be a good Christian person and lose your business, you can be a good Christian person and lose your job. You can be a good Christian person and have some bad health problems that come upon you and, and sometimes linger and stay around for a long, long time. And as Christians, we go along in life and we learn pretty quickly that we trust God through our troubles. We trust God through our trials. We trust God through our sicknesses. And He gets us through. And if we don't get through, if by some means we die from our sickness, guess what? To live as Christ and to die as gain. We die trusting Jesus. I preached that last week. Second dose of it here today. Uh, just say thank you and go on. Amen. Whatever is still true today. We don't suffer in vain. We don't suffer for nothing. We know that suffering is a part of a fallen world. And we know there will be a time when our suffering will be over. We look forward to that time, but until it does, we get through by Jesus Christ. The worst thing about American Christianity these days is that we are sending this idea across the seas to third world countries. So that this prosperity theology, that's what it's called. If you love God, God loves you. If you do the right things, support the right things, do carry on the right way, then you'll be extra blessed. But you know, in third world countries, if that extra blessing may mean your cow may have twins next year. Kind of a different connotation. Uh, your corn crop may be successful and you'll make enough to be able to sell a little bit instead of just have enough to eat. But it's the same idea. Suffering is a part of life in a fallen world. 
Christian people suffer too, and we can't buy our way out of it. We can't bargain our way out of it by making a deal with God. We can't buy our way out of it by giving to the right ministry of the right person. Suffering is a part of our life, and we can either honor God with it or not. It's up to us. Paul then nails it all down when he asks him that question. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? I want to try to wrap this all up for you neatly this morning with a couple of great passages of Scripture that I want to show you that shows us the difference between a self-righteousness, a works-based righteousness, and the righteousness which is a faith. Here they are, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, famous passage, study to show thyself approved unto God. The modern translations all have that, uh, uh, be diligent, because that's what it means, be diligent. Be diligent to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Simon Peter preached on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved to God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Now this puts the issue before us very succinctly today. Was Jesus, did Jesus gain God's approval? Look at the passage. Did Jesus gain God's approval by working miracles and wonders and signs? Of course not. He worked miracles and wonders and signs because he was approved by God. The same thing is true in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We do not work, we're not diligent in order to be approved by God. We serve him diligently, we work, we study because we are approved by God. This is why it's so important for us to understand we're, we're not working to get God's approval. We're not working so that God would love us. We're not working so that God will bless us. Instead, we work because we know God does love us. We work because we know Jesus died for us. We serve him because he loves us and we love him back. We're not doing it in, try, in order to try to earn his favor. If we are, we mess the whole thing up because our motives are wrong. And Paul would talk about that very thing to the church at Corinth when he told them that the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. And that talks about why we did what we did. Not just how we did it, but why we did what we did. And if we work and we serve, if we're diligent, but we're doing it somehow to try to earn God's favor or earn God's approval or earn God's blessings or make God love us or make God accept us. Our motive's wrong. Maybe today you're sitting there thinking, you know, I think about what God has done for me and I don't feel worthy. That's a good thing because let me tell you something. You're not worthy. Neither am I. Am I worth what Jesus Christ did on the cross? Not from where I look. Not when I look at that guy in the mirror. Do I feel worthy? No, I don't feel worthy because I'm not worthy. That's what makes it grace. That's what makes his love for us so amazing. 
That while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. And so if you don't feel worthy, that's okay. Because you're not. But if you take that another step and say, well, I'm not approved by God. You're off track. Because your approval is not based on what you do or don't do, but on what Jesus Christ did and what Jesus Christ didn't do. No, you're not worthy, but Jesus Christ is. And He, He is the one upon which your acceptance is based. Going to lead us in a word of prayer. Brother Bill is going to come and lead us in a song. And this is a time for us to think about this this message maybe you're watching from home maybe you've been under the grip of 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 some very persuasive teacher who's convinced you that yeah it's okay to believe in Jesus but then you've got to add in all these other things to be accepted or approved of God maybe you've been working trying to get God's favor God's blessing I want you to know that God's favor God's blessing God's approval is all wrapped up in that one simple truth justified We have been justified, declared righteous by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, how you need to trust in Jesus today. And it will liberate you to live for Christ without this burden of the performance trap. Maybe you need to make some other decision. Maybe you need to follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe you need a church home. Maybe you need to trust in Jesus Christ. You think about that. If you're sitting at home, say, I I just need to know more. Listen, my phone number is 501-860-4733. It should be on the screen at home. Feel free to text me, and uh, I'll call you back. And if necessary, we can set up an appointment. We'll talk outside if you're not comfortable coming inside. Whatever. I'd love to take the Word of God and show you that what we've looked at today is true and how it applies to you. Maybe someone in this building needs to respond to this message. Maybe you can't come forward. That's all right. I'll be out in the vestibule after service is over. Please come by and we'll talk about whatever you have on your heart.